Hey everybody, welcome back to Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. Today's episode 123, and we're going to be discussing Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young's song, Our House. And we're going to be joined by my brother, Spencer Cropper, who hasn't joined us for a while. I don't think since um, the Sgt. Pepper 55th anniversary episode way back in June. Anyhow, uh, before we get going, I just want to thank you for stopping by. I know the amount of alone time that it takes to get through a podcast isn't always easy to come by these days, so I appreciate you entrusting me with yours and hope that you will find you chose wisely. Um, if you're new, welcome, and if you've been listening for a while, uh, thank you so much for your support. As always, I encourage you to follow the show on any and all social media platforms so that you can be kept abreast of all the latest happenings pertaining to the show, and the handles are listed in the description. If you're interested in a bit more content from me, consider subscribing to Dr. Cropper's Office Hour on Apple Podcasts. Uh, for $2.49 American per month, and there is a one-month free trial, you get access to pretty well weekly bonus episodes uh, in addition to priority sequence for topic requests. So uh, please fire away with those at any of the aforementioned channels, whether or not you subscribe to premium. Um, and I'm, I'm tossing around uh, ways to kind of tweak and improve the premium content. Um, so hopefully I'll have that ironed out in the next week or two. And I will keep you all posted about that. Um, if you feel so inclined to leave a rating and review wherever you listen, those are very helpful to me. And lastly, before we get going, you may notice the support the show link at the bottom of the description wherever you're listening, which uh, will direct you to the buy me a coffee page. Uh, no pressure, of course, but uh, anything uh, is appreciated. So without further ado, let's get into it. And I'm just going to cut straight to my conversation with Spencer. All right, everyone, please welcome back to the show, my brother, Spencer Cropper. Hello. Good morning. When's the last time you were on anyway? Was that like the Sgt. Pepper episode in June? Yeah, I think so. It's been a while. Been yeah. been uh, locked up in the studio since then. <laughs> yeah, tell us about that before we get going. Uh, I've just wrapped up uh, mixing and mastering my first full-length LP, so I have been working on it for like 18 months. Uh, I've co-produced it with a friend of mine, Morgan Dunbar. Um, there's only been two of us that have touched any of the songs on the album, uh, and maybe one. There's one guest guitar appearance, and I, to be honest, I don't actually know how much of that actually made the cut. Uh -huh. uh, but it's basically just been uh, Morgan and I in the studio, and uh, we've been going um, at least once a week for the last uh, 16 months. So it's been intensive. Uh, it's going to be 11 or 12 songs and about 40 minutes long, and uh, kind of the pinnacle of it is the, the back half of the album uh, I created with the intention of it being a medley. So... Um, the one song finishes and then like there's no silence between it and the next one. And I, and I challenged myself to come up with transitions that were like functional. So like the last chord of this song is 
really like setting up the first chord of the next song and uh you know it's been it's been great seeing it come together because for the longest time like that was just a vision in my head and i could try to explain it but like i would i would be like yo morgan we should do this and he's like uh you're gonna have to like show me what you're talking about because that just like sounds like gibberish right like you're just Mm -hmm. like oh i do this and it modulates to this and uh so anyways when we finally fit all the pieces together in the right order it was like like uh-huh. you know just a moment where i was like yes that 100 percent works like you know all the work that we put into it has paid off mm, well you, you sent me a that early copy and uh i really like it so i'm Thanks. excited for everyone to be able to hear it yeah i'm very excited as well it uh it, it will be out sometime this year um uh, you know gotta gotta figure out when's the best time and uh get some marketing videos going but uh it's, it's going to be out and uh, the there's another single that will be coming out in about a month off of it called Rewind, which uh, that's the first song in the medley. And so that single actually is going to be the first uh, like two songs. That's how I was viewing it. So it's called Rewind slash Out of the Blue. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Um, <clears throat> so as far as why we're here today, um when David Crosby passed away two weeks ago, I was listening to some of his songs that I like. And then eventually I put on the Spotify, like this is David Crosby playlist. And one of the songs on there was a live version of our house, um, which I had seen like mentioned as one of their better songs, but I never actually checked it out. because I assumed it was the Maxwell house song. I was like, Oh, the hell with that. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it came on. I was like, Oh, this is actually good. <laughs> Um, and earlier in the day after the news broke, some of my friends on discord were doing like a little listening party in Crosby's honor. And this one came on and, uh, one, I told, I texted you this, one of them called it the best Beatles song the Beatles never wrote. And I was like, well, that's an interesting thought. It's a funny take. I mean, it's, uh, I, I had a laugh at that because it's, I don't want to call it simple but it's like it's one of those kind of descending bass lines that just walks down roughly the major scale like there's a couple notes in there that don't belong but um i mean the closest thing i would compare it to would actually be like whiter shade of pale by proco harem like where it's just that walking right the right like that's the idea and now the beatles uh, their catalog is chock full of of songs that have moments where it does the same walk down. Uh, my songs have them. Uh, you know, Taylor Swift has them. Like, uh, what's it called? Uh, you uh, rumor from Inez. Da, 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 that one. What is that, Betty? Yeah, uh, that song is you know same idea. So it's uh, I, I would call this an influential uh, song. I think a lot of songwriters that have come since Crosby, Stills, and Nash uh, are probably well aware of the song and uh, well aware of why it works. And, and that's why they're also using the same kind of ideas on their own songs. Mm. So after hearing this live version, I immediately checked out the studio version. And even though this is more of a Nash song, I think discussing it is still a fitting tribute to Crosby because it showcases his skill as a harmony singer and a ranger, which we can uh, dig into uh, when we go through it. Um, 
So written by Graham Nash while he and Joni Mitchell were living together in Laurel Canyon, sort of a hippie paradise uh, in the Hollywood Hills. Um, This is what Nash himself said about it in 2013. Well, it's an ordinary moment. What happened is that Joni and I, I don't know whether you know anything about Los Angeles, but on Ventura Boulevard in the Valley, there's a very famous deli called Arts Deli, and we'd been to breakfast there. We're going to get into Joan's car and we wanted, we passed an antique store and we're looking in the window and she saw a very beautiful vase that she wanted to buy. I persuaded her to buy this vase. It wasn't very expensive and we took it home. It was a very gray, kind of sleety, drizzly LA morning and we got to the house in Laurel Canyon and I said, got through the front door and I said, you know what? I'll light a fire. Why don't you put some flowers in that vase that you just bought? Well, she was in the garden getting flowers, which meant she was not at her piano, but I was. And an hour later, our house was born out of an incredibly ordinary moment that many, many people have experienced. It's, it's pretty cool, uh, you know, thinking about that Laurel Canyon scene. And, uh, you know, uh, I think we've watched the same documentary on it. So. Yeah, there's like a three-parter. I forget what it was on. Yeah, I, I can't remember either. Um, and it's like then one I, of those super channels, yeah, something like that. And I don't know if it's a separate thing, but I know there's a great documentary that uh, Jacob Dylan made, the son of Bob Dylan, and um, there there's actually an album that goes with it where they perform all kinds of hits that came out of Laurel Canyon from the '60s, and uh, they do a really great version of "It Won't Be Wrong" by the Birds, which. Right. Uh, talking about david crosby he was also in the birds and you know was singing on tracks like that um david crosby was a very integral part of that scene um and i mean i know i've seen him working with uh other musicians like uh, much more modern music uh, in mm-hmm. the last decade or two um he's he's good friends or was good friends with uh, jacob collier um who's somebody that that I, I like watching uh, his performances and um, he, he's in his own right, a very great harmony singer, but uh, David Crosby is like one of those guys that like, you know, other people that are masters at singing, watch him. And they're just like, I actually don't know how he's that good. You know, like yeah. he's, he's one of these guys that, um, you know, for all of the, the smoking and, uh, and, you know, fun that they had over the years, it, did not seem to wreck his voice. Like, you know, you go pull up a clip of him singing a year or two ago. Like he still sounds like the same guy, uh, which I, I don't know how he pulled that off. It's remarkable. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, that was kind of his claim to fame was his ability to, to not only add harmonies, but to like tweak the other harmonies that other people were doing to make it uh, coherent, um, which is honestly one of the most difficult things like, I like singing two-part harmony. I feel like that is something I have a good grasp on. But as soon as you add a third part, you have to like change all of the lines. Like they can't be quite as as free flowing. Like the, mm-hmm. you really have regimented. Like okay, th- this one's just going to go down one note. Like it's not jumping three or four notes at a time up and down. Because if you do three parts like that, it, it starts to sound very uh, medieval. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you go listen to Crosby, Stills, and Nash, I mean, think of uh, Judy Blue Eyes 
right? Those harmonies at the end, I mean, that would be one of the the pinnacles of, of you know, harmony in folk and rock music. Um, mm-hmm. And you just can't get that without David Crosby. Yeah. Yeah, and he has lots of cross-pollinations with Grateful Dead, too. Um, lots of them played on his solo album, If I Could Only Remember My Name, and uh, he guested with them a few times. In fact, uh, he... Um, I think Bob credits him with uh, coming up with the initial like riff for playing in the band. Oh, really? The yeah, that's super cool. And um, yeah, he you know he was connected with with everybody, even outside the Laurel Canyon scene. Like you know, I I've heard great stories of. Uh, him and Bob Dylan crossing paths. He was one of these guys that like would hear Bob Dylan and be like, Hey guys, we should play his song, but do it totally differently, mm-hmm. which was not so common. Like in the sixties, like there are, you know, cover versions of songs that exist that are pretty much like replicas, you know, yeah. like they, maybe it's in a different key. Maybe they slightly adjusted the arrangement, but like, if you listen to, Mr. Tambourine Man and listen to Bob's version and then listen to the Birds version, which Crosby would have played a hand in, you know, like it's, it's very different. It's distinct. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that really speaks to uh, the kind of artists that were in, in that scene. Like they weren't trying to copy anybody else. And I, I think that's why, you know, so many years later you can listen to it and it, 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 that's why I can't listen to a quote like, Oh, it's, you know, the greatest Beatles song that the Beatles never wrote. Cause it's like, it sounds nothing like the Beatles though. It's so different. Like, you know, it's like, it's very much its own thing. Right. Like I, I even keep it separate from the beach boys though. Like, you know, the beach mm-hmm. boys were friends with all of these people and they all hung out and, and everything. It's like, you know, you've got certain bands, like you got Dylan and you've got the Beatles and you've got the beach boys that are just kind of in their own right. But then, like, you go listen to stuff from Laurel Canyon, and it's like, they don't really sound like they were being influenced by any of those people. It just sounds like they were having fun, mm-hmm. you know, songs together, so. Yeah, if anything, I I can hear more Beach Boys influence on the doors on the debut. There's some surf rock elements. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. Anyhow, um, so Our House was recorded on November 5th, 1969 and released on deja vu march 11th 1970 and then as a single about six months later in september um interesting i uh it's kind of like uncle john's band kicking off working man's like a that earthy kind of retreating after the chaotic end to 1969 just like kind of recoiling back into your shell like okay we're just gonna like enjoy some domestic time out in the country for a while yeah yeah it's a very um it's a very homey song right i mean like the the story that graham nash tells about writing the song at a piano in a little house like it sounds like it was recorded in that setting yeah and on the the 50th anniversary like edition of deja vu there's some like demos and like early takes of it and one of them's just Graham, one of them's Graham and Joni, and it, it just sounds like they're just sitting at the piano in the living room. Wow. Remarkable. Anyway, so why don't we just go uh, like verse by verse, and we'll 
uh, analyze the lyrics and talk about what's happening musically as well. Uh, so verse one, I'll light the fire, you place the flowers in the vase that you bought today. Um, says a lot with so few words, like even without knowing that backstory that we read from Nash's quote, you know that they're getting home from a nice day together and settling in for a nice evening together. I also really like how the mix starts really dry and brittle, like unlit firewood, and then kind of sparks and comes alive, you know? Yeah, by the time that the the little drums come in, like, it, it really opens up. It, are there even, like, full drums in here, or am I imagining? Yeah, there, there are. They don't... Um... I think they come in when it gets to for me only for me at the end yeah. of verse two. Uh, yeah, but like it's a constant build up from there. But yeah. uh, you know, very dynamic song. Like if you think about it, like you could strip this song down entirely to just a piano and a voice, or just a guitar and a voice. Mm. Uh, but you know, to to make a recording out of a song like that takes a lot of uh, you know planning like okay we can start it with just the piano and a voice but what are we going to add that's not going to be too much right like it's not it's not an electric guitar song like it's not really a guitar song actually at all there's no me. guitar on it at all yeah like though i hear so many versions of people doing it with just a guitar which is like funny to me because you know you just no matter how good you are you can't play a guitar like a piano right like no. you don't have a sustain pedal you don't like you just don't have the same tools available with it. It's very much a piano song to me. And like, you know, I would love to see uh, somebody play it just piano and, and, and vo vocals and maybe even do like three part vocals with just the piano. Like that would be yeah. a great be live. Well, maybe uh, we should uh, send in a request for John Mayer to do it at the Toronto show <laughs> since it, yeah. his whole tour is going to be just him with a piano or a guitar. Uh, yeah, actually, that let's do it. Let's do it. I think, <laughs> um, I think John Mayer would uh, would kill the song. I think he'd do a really good job with it. And I think he was friends with David Crosby. I, I definitely yeah. think I saw him post something about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah the the arrangement is just drums, bass, piano, and harpsichord. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Uh, you know, I one of the things that uh that i've done with my own music is i've tried to distance myself from like oh he writes guitar songs like you want to escape that whether you want to play the songs on guitar or not is kind of irrelevant at that point it's just i don't want it to scream like oh this is guitar music mm -hmm. uh, and right crosby stills and nash and young <laughs> uh you know their their catalog is is very um random at times like right like they're well when you add young to the mix they do some heavier stuff uh steven stills was like a a wicked musician i i, I didn't know until recently that he like played a lot of the instruments on their stuff mm -hmm. like their recordings were like he basically played everything and then they just had the guys come in and sing yeah um which i i never knew but like him and and uh neil young could rock out a bit more um 
it kind of jumps. Like if you listen to Ohio and you listen to Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, it, it sounds like two different groups at times. But the one the one connector between all of it is the vocal harmony. And like I really think that that it's David Crosby really that that makes the big difference. Like I I know that I kind of take on a similar role when I play with other bands and like I'll listen to what they're doing vocally and I'll add my part, but I'll also tweak what they're doing. And I I've seen songs go from like it's kind of there, it's missing something to like, oh yeah, like that's the record, just by just kind of adjusting those vocals. And when I listen to CSN, like that's what I'm hearing all the time is just like how perfect the vocals are. Like think about in our house, right? It has the la 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 la, right? Like that's the kind of thing that sometimes can sound like fluff. Like you could put la la la's into anything. Right. And, right? Like it, it's not some masterful stroke of writing genius to add la la la. But when in the right context, right? Like it really adds a needed uh, kind of response to the call that is the lead vocal. And right like you mentioned that there's no guitars on this song so you need something that's going to be filling in mid-range and i think that's where those vocals sit like it it's kind of like a guitar part it's kind of like just a strum 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 right mm -hmm. it really adds to the arrangement though it, it keeps the momentum building even though it's still a soft song and it's not getting huge or anything it's just constantly growing and you also get this picture of, right, like the lyrics are talking about our house and it's, you know, the the vase that you bought today. Like it, as the elements come in, it feels like they've moved into this house, but now they're putting pictures on the wall and it's being filled with memories. And by the end of the song, it feels like this very familiar place where it's, it's not just a house, it's a home. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to look at it. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. It, and funny enough, um, Ohio is the single that precedes this one. Wow. Like it was written and recorded after, but this came out as a single like six months after the album had already been out. So like the album comes out in March, then Ohio comes out in June because they put it out like right after the incident happened. And then this comes out as the next single after Ohio. Yeah, the, I mean, th that's a great example of how different their catalog is, right? The, mm -hmm. Those songs are, that's a huge juxtaposition. And, and interestingly, um, like this gets credited to CSNY because it's on like an album where Young was part of the equation because he kind of flitted in and out, but um, he doesn't perform on this, which I think is probably good. Like it, it would ruin what we were just talking about, but the delicacy of it to have him like, clanging away with a guitar yeah it's really funny actually i i like neil young and i like crosby stills and nash separately but they kind of drive me crazy the crosby stills nash and young thing i'm like shut up neil like stop <laughs> well it's like it's like when he plays at zeppelin's hall of fame induction and they're like playing when the levy breaks and he's just like way too into it and kind of like stealing some spotlight from page and it's like bro it's his induction <laughs> Yeah, he's a character. I, I I prefer my Neil Young to be there alone with an acoustic guitar. 
Yeah, like I like some of his stuff, but I was uh I was talking about like CSNY stuff with uh the guy who said the Beatles thing, Nut Rocker, my friend uh out in BC, who's like in his fifties anyway. So he's like bigger into CSNY than me and is a big Neil Young fan too. And I was like, Yeah, sorry, man. Like I think he's kind of a wanker between like pulling his catalog from Spotify and like st- stuff like this, because he was like telling me about like some of their frictions in the band. I was like, yeah, I don't like, sorry, but I don't feel any special affinity for him just because he's Canadian. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no question. He's a wanker, but it's arguably served his music well. <laughs> I would agree with that. Like, I think part of the reason that when you listen to Neil Young sing Old Man or Harvest Moon, you appreciate how reserved they are because you've heard things where you're like, dude, stop. Like, you know, and he's one of these really funny, like, rock and roll guys where he's always maintained, like, like I dislike Neil Young and Crazy Horse because it just sounds like like grungy bar rock to me. Yeah. I, you know, I do like, like Cinnamon Girl, but, like... Sure, yeah. sure. Like, there's, there's always going to be a couple anomalies in the equation when it's somebody as talented and as skilled as a Neil Young. But, uh... I don't particularly like his lead guitar work <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and yeah, when you listen to like crazy horse, you're just like, Oh my God, it's just like all Neil's. <laughs> well, it's like someone taking the prominence of like a page or a Hendrix or a Jerry Garcia, but they're not on that level. <laughs> yeah. And, and like bragging, like I don't need music theory. And then they play like that. And you're like, <laughs> You should maybe take a peek. Um, I say this all, you know, nothing against Neil, uh, you know, but you got to call it what it is. Uh, he, he His strengths to me were like, when you see clips of Neil Young singing just acoustic songs, like when, like back when he wrote them, like, mm. man, that voice is crazy. Oh, yeah. Like after the gold rush. Beautiful. Oh, uh, wonderful. Um and right, like there's great live recordings of him. Like he was the real deal. But uh, yeah, it's a very uh, strange combination of of artists to me that he just like joined in. Yeah, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Like it didn't feel like oh, that's what was meant to happen. No, but apparently it like gave them a big boost popularity wise. Because uh, in the same conversation with my friend in BC, he was saying like, um, it always kind of like and bugged the other guys that ultimately they needed him more than he needed them just from the popularity standpoint apparently crosby actually said the difference between csn and csny was a 5000 seat theater versus a 20000 seat arena wow i i don't think i ever realized uh that element to it i i've never actually heard Me that described I would have assumed it was the other way around. Yeah, it was surprising to me. I was like, if I had a chance to see like Crosby, Stills, Nash, or see a Neil Young show, I would definitely pick CSN. But a hundred percent. Um, and what you were saying about the <coughs> and what you were saying about his guitar playing and stuff, I might have mentioned this to you, but in the the Grateful Dead cast, um. A few seasons ago when they were talking about american beauty for the 50th they uh talked a fair bit about uh, crosby making if i could only remember my name since most of the dead played on it 
Yeah. And uh, they're interviewing Crosby talking about cowboy movie and how um, initially he couldn't get the, like the ultimate take that he heard in his head because like his vocal wasn't as good on the one that had better playing from Neil, but then they were able to merge the two for like the 50th anniversary edition or whatever. But anyway, he's like, um, he was so excited to get Neil and Jerry Garcia like playing together. Cause he thought like, okay, I'm friends with both of them. They're both like great players. Like what could go wrong? But then he's like, yeah, I love Neil, but he, he's very, he kind of approaches like playing guitar with someone else. Like, a competition and yeah and jerry will not engage with that like he will play better than you but he's not gonna make it a pissing contest yeah like he he's just playing for the sake of the song whereas yeah neil definitely has that dual kind of thing going on but it's like the when you're playing doing it with someone like jerry garcia it's like the black knight in monty python and the holy grail <laughs> he's like come on how about you he's like yeah you haven't got any arms you so <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a great comparison. Uh, so on that note, verse two, <laughs> um, staring at the fire for hours and hours while I listen to you play your love songs all night long for me, only for me. Um, the key to me is the the only for me part, and that's my favorite part of the song. The only for me and only for you at the end of verse four i just love the intonation of graham's voice on that part yeah and it's it's also a, a very revealing lyric in terms of you know this isn't just a love song guy and a girl you know it's graham nash and joni mitchell it's it's world-renowned artists together and that for them a big part of their life is singing their songs to the public um but that he's admitting that what's so special is that it's just Joni sitting there at a piano playing for him, that there's nobody mm -hmm. else that can hear it. And, it, and because of that, it's, it becomes just a shared moment, even though it's something that, right. She's probably playing those songs, you know, every day at that time yeah. at, at a cafe and other people listening, but um, it, it really speaks to, their the the uniqueness of their own relationship that you know that's how they would have been spending their time right they would have been sitting there playing their own music all day long but that they would have been perfectly happy just listening to each other that's mm -hmm. pretty cool yeah but it's also like general enough that if you're a couple out there who neither of you have like are to have a musical bone in your body it's like you know okay you don't usually sing but you sing for me or like yeah absolutely or the idea of doing anything when it's just strictly for one other person that you know it, it's a very relatable thing and i think that's like you know this would be a song that i wouldn't surprise me if uh you know people kind of had played this at their weddings and and things like that you know it, it's a, a song that you listen to and it's it's just very you know, me and you, mm -hmm. you know, don't worry about anything outside these four walls. Like, you know, it's just like a nice, you know, one-to-one -one love song. Yeah. I mean, to use a stupid contemporary example, it's like um, putting the, the, you know, how on Snapchat you can like 
put the emojis of you and the person you're sending it to. Oh yeah. So like, like doing that to, or Bitmoji, I should say, to like indicate, Hey, this wasn't a mass snap. Like this is just for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, anyhow, uh, what you said led perfectly into verse three, come to me now and rest your head for just five minutes. Everything is done. Obviously everything is never like, done forever but the gist of it is like there's no issue that's pressing enough to keep you from dropping everything and just being here now in this beautiful moment with me well said okay verse four such a cozy room the windows are illuminated by the evening sunshine through them fiery gems for you only for you I feel like as the song has gone on, we've gone from lyrics that I would write to lyrics that you would write. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is getting more Dylan-y with like yeah. <laughs> describing a sunset in such like complex, verbose. <laughs> like, Whereas I was just sitting here like, did he actually say anything there? Or <laughs> is he still talking about the fire that he put on earlier? Yeah, it's like when you when there's like dust in the air and you can see the the individual rays of sunlight kind of like splintering and like you see it, when it lights up the dust particles in the air it looks like little fireflies or fiery gems neat far out <laughs> <laughs> neat man yeah um and then again the for you only for you um so then the chorus our house is a very, very, very fine house with two cats in the yard. Life used to be so hard. Now everything is easy because of you and our, and then it cuts into the la la. Um, so the fact that it refers to it as a very, very, very fine house, but the only thing that it mentions about the house is the fireplace, the cats and the piano, uh, it makes a, a pretty far out point like it's such a fine house not because of its size or location or contents but because of the memories they create there and the love that they share there it's very uh non-materialistic mm -hmm. like you know even though a, a piano is a material thing it's it's so much more it's more so the ability to make something at any mm -hmm. point you just sit down and play it and you make that sound uh, right and and like you know talking about whether it's cats or dogs right i mean is there anything more valuable to somebody than the dog that's in their house like screw the house there's a fire you're worried about the dog um yeah like if you have the dog with you you're like oh did we put the alarm on like oh whatever but if you're leaving the dog home alone like oh i better lock that door yeah absolutely I, I think it, it also just, you know, it demonstrates everything that um, that Graham Nash and, and the whole Crosby, Stills and Nash and, and really the whole Laurel Canyon scene stood for back then. Right. It was about, you know, um, loving each other and, um, you know, being free thinking and, and not being held by 
things like a house, right? Like not being caught up in, oh, how big is my house? And, you know, how much land do I have and all this? It was like, what's wrong with this? Right? Like the house they're talking about was tiny, right? Mm. It was like, it was like a little shed kind of deal. Yeah. It's pictures of it. It's, yeah. It was minuscule. Like, you know, there, there, I think there's a lot of people walking around now that, would be like oh, i can't live in a house that small and it's like why not yeah right? these were two fit, like famous musicians living there they they easily could have lived anywhere else yeah and you know on songmeanings.com how people can like comment their opinions so i like scrolling through there to because like sometimes people have good ideas sometimes not <laughs> and for this song somebody said uh they actually had two jaguars so that is probably the two cats in the yard and that's why life's not hard anymore like, <laughs> uh, i'm pretty sure that's like literally the opposite of the meaning of the song but so jo- it, johnny did in fact have two cats <laughs> that's funny yeah they're just sitting inside with like <laughs> looking at their cars like oh yeah 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 wow <laughs> um and as far as the life used to be so hard now everything is easy because of you obviously life doesn't stop being hard at least you know not permanently but you can find someone who makes it feel easier or at least like you're not pedaling uphill the whole time absolutely uh you know i think it has a really great message the song and um you know it's a very like pretty song you know it's, it's not like heavy or anything it's just very light and you know it's kind of like the sun coming through the window like it's just always welcome like you you hear it and it's just a a pleasant couple Mm -hmm. of minutes for sure and you know me of all people i would typically be annoyed by like the spot where you would have a solo just being la 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 yeah (laughs) but but when it's when it's set up so nicely i'm like okay you know what yeah i wouldn't want anything else here yeah (laughs) Or even like the lyric, like the, is a very, very, very fine house. Like normally I would just be like, wow, that is like historically lazy. Like, yeah. right. Like, like why, why did you say very four times? Yeah. But, well, and they, the backing vocals even add an extra very, uh, when it comes back after the interlude. Really? Yeah. They say an extra very while Nash starts the next <laughs> very 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 fine <laughs> like they say in a, a fourth very when he says fine um, yeah no the, and, and it's like that's one lyric that kind of drives me crazy if i just sit here and think about it but if i go to listen to the song it doesn't bother me is your mic resting against like a blanket or something it wasn't oh that's better it's better now yeah it normally like if I just sit here and and think about that lyric, it will drive me nuts. It, mm-hmm. It'd be like like thinking about all the different things that you could say in there. But I suppose that like right, think about how few things in the house are mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Like he's keeping it very simple, very 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 simple. Honestly, mm-hmm. right? Like he rather than trying to fit something else in that line, right? Some other detail. It's just he knows it has to be that long and he just says very until he gets to the end and it's a, yeah. it's a fucking house it's fine there's nothing wrong with it it's awesome yeah yeah um 
And Nash has also said, kind of like this paraphrasing, that a big part of the inspiration was just being pleasantly surprised by having such a a peaceful, ordinary moment uh, in, you know, the otherwise wild and very not ordinary lives of professional musicians. Yeah. He was like, whoa, this must have, be what it's like for all the other couples just chilling at their house. Yeah. It's, it feels very removed from like what their lives would have actually been. Right. Like, you know, how often would they have actually both had nothing to do Mm -hmm. and just been chilling at home. Uh, I, I feel like it'd be pretty rare. Yeah. Like for all we know, one or both of them went out on tour the next day and then. Yeah. Maybe they broke up after that, and <laughs> this was the last time. I don't know. I think they they did. I don't think it was too much longer after this, yeah, but I'm not sure. I, I, to be honest, I don't think they were together for very long. No, based on the documentary, it seemed like they were definitely like soulmates, but just like it's just a fling. Their, their lives at the time, it didn't work out. Huh? They didn't spend enough days like this, I guess. I suppose. Um, and then how it reprises the uh, the first verse to wrap it up, and all of the the accelerando and the filling out of the mix, like falls back down. Yeah, much more drastically. Um, I think that suggests to me that like everything after the first verse was him you know, dreaming about what would happen once he lights the fire. And yeah. Now, and now it's the evening is about to unfold for real. Yeah. Um, which is probably accurate. Like he imagines what's going to happen while he's sitting there writing it when she's out in the garden. And then she comes back in and it's like, oh, okay, let's see what actually happens. Yeah. And it, it very much does sound like kind of a dream sequence. Like just right. Like, sitting there and drifting off and daydreaming about, you know, all the things that, that might happen. Mm -hmm. And then how quickly it like crashes back down is like snapping out of it. And I suppose that it's also a perfect depiction of their relationship then. (laughs) Yeah. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Far in. (laughs) So did I tell you how I've been trying to bring back saying far out? at work oh i mean you didn't have to tell me that we were trying to bring that back to be doing it (laughs) so all right so you can join the charge that uh so it's been catching on a little bit and then like something happened that was like quite the opposite and then me and my friend are like look at each other he's like far in (laughs) (laughs) that is funny good way to describe things though yeah um so we we talked a lot about the lyrics do you have anything uh specific to to say about the music or the vocals the way the backing vocals weave around and complement well i i like when backing vocals like drift between singing like harmony where they're all together and then like call and response which there's lots of here um musically i'm pretty sure it's just the same chord sequence the whole way through like right there's all these different sections 
so there's a couple times where it deviates a little bit at like and when da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. right it's slightly different but i think all of it pretty much stays the same where it's it's just descending walking down and then there's a couple times where it goes i know it goes from the four chord to like the minor version but mm-hmm. uh they don't do it like like the beatles did that lots and it would go four minor four but they don't do it that way they go like four chord and then they go like up and they play a substitution for the minor so uh, i'll send you a clip of that um that is different um that's a chord i love throwing in it it, it instantly sounds like kind of like peter frampton like it's just very distinct um throwing that in there and um I don't know. Like musically, I love the arrangement. Uh, if anything, I'd love to hear it even even less filled out. No harpsichord, like just mm-hmm. you know, bare bones. Um, because I think you really get to appreciate what the backing vocals are doing when it's just like bass, drums, piano, and then you're hearing that everything that's that's not just that the the walking bass line. It's all backing vocals. Mm-hmm. other than that all the elements are are mimicking each other they're doing the exact same pattern so you know that to me really you know it, to honor david crosby that would be like my biggest comment on the song is that if you take the backing vocals away i think there's a lot less to be had there mm-hmm. uh, i think it's it's the vocals in general are the are the most important part of the song not surprising with it being crosby stills and nash but you know time and time again i listen to them and i just go back to like oh those vocals are perfect though like you never find yourself asking for more out of their songs because vocally they're so full Mm -hmm. yeah and in this case nash's lead vocals like kind of like tender and brittle and then uh crosby and stills give it like a warmth and a lushness yeah yeah they're the backing vocals sound more like they were recorded like as the lead vocal like they're very clear and crisp and everything and the, and then the lead vocal maintains that sitting in the living room playing piano vibe mm-hmm. like it sounds like a one make kind of deal like you know it, it it's all one and then the backing vocals are like this totally separate thing which i love by the way the the drummer on this dallas taylor um played a bit with the doors uh Morrison Hotel and LA Woman and like guessed it a few times in 1970. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he and uh John Sebastian when they needed some like harmonica and like extra guitar and stuff. That's super cool. Um it's such a strange combination of artists to play for, but it, you know, again speaks to part of that vibe that was going on in Laurel Canyon is that they were using session players. Like they weren't afraid to have session players join in. Right. And I think that's honestly like a really good way for people to work is like, yes, I think artists should be playing their own, their own instruments as best as they can. But like for me, right. Like I'm not a good enough drummer to play on everything. And that's something that I, I am always considering when I'm working with other people is like, get a guy that can play drums for the doors and for Crosby, Stills and Nash. Like you need somebody that can, that can do exactly what you ask them to do. And like, you could bring in a punk song the next day and they can just nail it. Um, 
It's very cool. And I mean, if you listen to the recording, it's very professional, right? Like, who plays bass, by the way, on the track? Is it Stills? No. Um, I, I had it up here. Let me, um, while I'm pulling it up, the other thing is, uh, as seems to be the case a fair bit, apparently Nash was, uh, you know, as seems to be the case with like people's signature song or what becomes their signature song. He was apparently like bored with it the day after he recorded it. But he says yeah. he'll still play it now and then because he knows how much it means to a lot of people out there. But also you can imagine if it like the relationship ended up going south, then it's kind of like tainted for you. Yeah, well, and like from a writing perspective, I know Bram Nash has written a lot more complex music than this. Yeah, I, I, I could relate to that. This is the kind of thing that you knock off in an hour where it's just, you know, you come up with a simple idea. You don't think too much about it. You let that chord sequence just go over and over again. And, um, you know, but he, he has other music that I think like would feel a lot more fulfilling to go and play mm-hmm. as like as the writer, I think you'd be like, Oh, check this out. Right. Because it's yeah. more complex. Whereas our house, like it's nice. And a lot of people are going to love it, but like that would be one of those songs that you probably, you know, begrudgingly throw into the set. And it's like, you're doing it for for everybody else in the room but it's not for you yeah uh to answer your question greg reeves plays bass interesting Um, i do not know that name yeah neither do i um his wikipedia page doesn't even know his exact birthday it says 1949 slash 1950 right on oh so he is best known for playing bass on this album so oh interesting there you go um oh but he did some session stuff uh in motown um that's odd he played on uh oh during the session for the temptations cloud nine he was apprehensive about his bass playing and switched to tambourine at the behest (laughs) of the producer Here, just pop hold of this. Uh, someone else yeah. will handle it. <laughs> they just begrudgingly like called James Jamerson in. Like, fine, <laughs> you can play on another one. <laughs> um, and Dallas Taylor uh, says died in 2015. He's from born in Denver, grew up in San Antonio. Um, yeah, where does it? Uh... Oh, that's weird. It doesn't actually mention. Maybe he didn't actually play on any of the Doors stuff and just like joined them live a few times because it doesn't list any Doors stuff in his discography. My bad. It could be entirely possible that he played and wasn't credited though. True. Anyhow, um, I guess uh, that's probably all we have to say. Unless you have anything else to add far out (laughs) all right well pleasure as always to have you on thanks for your time man uh thanks for having me man can't wait to be back next uh whenever we can get that worked out yeah probably um we got two big uh, 50th anniversaries coming up in march dark side of the moon and houses of the holy i love both albums i'm in houses is your birthday album 
It is indubitably. Although, did you know that My Birthday is the only day with two Zeppelin albums released on it? Really? One and a half. Well, one and a half. Uh, Presence was March 31st, 76. And the debut came out in January in the States, but not till March 31st in the UK. Ah, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again, man. It's a pleasure to be on. All right. Talk soon. All right, so I hope you enjoyed Spencer and I's conversation about a very beautiful song, a really simplistic depiction of idyllic domestic bliss. Um, so as I said at the beginning, I encourage you to follow the show on any and all social media platforms, and they are in the episode description wherever you're listening, uh, the handles that is. Um and uh go follow Spencer as well. He is uh at Spencer Cropper on pretty much everything. So uh yeah, go check him out, follow him on Spotify so that you can uh he's got lots of singles up there uh that can uh whet your appetite and tide you over until the album comes out. And the album also features a song that we wrote together about five years ago. So uh yeah. Uh, exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to the release. Um, as I said, feel free to fire away with uh, any topic requests that you might have. And if you want to cut to the front of the line with that, or just get access to the bonus episodes, consider subscribing to Dr. Cropper's Office Hour, the Apple Podcasts exclusive uh, premium spinoff of the show. And uh, if you feel so inclined to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening, if that's an option, Uh, Those are very helpful. If you're interested in starting your own show, um, if you sign up with my hosting service, Buzzsprout, you and I will both get a $20 Amazon gift card. I mentioned the support the show link, which directs you to the buy me a coffee page. Check that out if you feel so inclined. And uh, thank you so much for listening. If you're new, I hope you liked what you heard and will stick around. And if you I've been listening for a while. Thank you so much. I am not sure what will be the topic next week. Um, We will be talking about Zeppelin's UK 73 tour for the 50th anniversary, either next week or the week after. Um, I'll be listening to the last show for the anniversary today and finishing up my notes. Uh, The reason it might be the week after next is I'm bringing back my good friend Led Zepp Film, who we uh, had on in October 2021 to talk about the Japan 71 tour for its 50th anniversary. And uh, that's our most popular episode of all time thus far. So uh, happy to have him back. And uh, he might not be uh, ready to do it for next week. So that's why it may be the week after. If so, I'll come up with something uh, for next week as I did for this week. Um, and also speaking of records, we are on the cusp of a new record month, uh, and October, 2021, because of the popularity of that Japan 71 episode is the current record holder, but we are, uh, within a hundred downloads of breaking that record these last two days here. So hopefully this episode will put us over the top. And what's really cool about that to me is 
there have only been two new episodes this month and they've come right at the end. So, um, it's, uh, it's been a very positive month and, uh, looking forward to, uh, that continuing throughout the year. All right. So have a great rest of your week and I will talk to you next week about something class dismissed.